Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who along with Daryl Morey co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for attending the 2022 MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. My name is Tim Miller. I'm a first year MBA student. And it's my pleasure to introduce our next panel, which is NFTs, Ownership, and Utility, Outlining the Path Forward for Digital Assets. As a reminder, today's, ticket, uh, today's panel is sponsored by Ticketmaster, and Ticketmaster is driving innovation, partnering with clients to connect sports fans with digital collectible NFTs at scale by unlocking a whole new way for fans to extend their game day experience. Ticketmaster and Ticketmaster teams are building together and building the future of live. As a reminder, uh, up on the screen, uh, you can see there's the QR code to scan to access the specific NFT for today's panel. So our panelists today, we have Rachel uh, Jacobson, who's the president of the Drone Racing League, Mickey Maher, the SVP of Platform and Blockchain Partnerships at Dapper, Sam Rubenroyd, Director of Club Business Development at the NFL, and Daryl Morey uh, will be our moderator, and he's the president of Basketball Operations for the 76ers. So for a logistics standpoint, uh, this panel will go for 45 minutes with an additional 10 minutes for Q&A. And please use the hashtag up on the screen, future, uh, future of sports NFTs, uh, to submit questions for the panel. On Twitter? On Twitter, yes, yeah, yeah. On, on Twitter. So off to you, Daryl. All right, thanks. I'm excited to be here. Thanks to everybody. Thanks. Um, I'm very Q&A heavy, so send, send questions in. <laughs> Uh, I always say, as long as I'm taking questions, I know one person's interested, so we're, we're ahead of the game. Um, we have a great panel, a, a good mix of uh, both uh, folks that do the underpinnings of the technology the, and then uh, folks who are building, building applications and companies uh, on top of it. Um, I'm going to start with uh, Mickey and take you back a, a little bit because we, at Dapper, um, you guys had to make a very fundamental decision early, which was what, you know, what blockchain uh, you were going to um, build on for your own, your own applications and then also the ones that you're going to use to enable other, other products, which uh, you've had a lot of success as well. Yeah. Take me to that decision and why you guys chose that. Well, ultimately, um, what the company wanted to do at its founding was in much the same fashion they've done it previously on other platforms, emerging technologies, is look at blockchain as more than just a cryptocurrency or a financial trading platform and make a, a home for applications. So the initial concept was that we looked at Ethereum, smart contracts, et cetera, and we said we can build applications on this platform and drive mass market adoption to it. Um, so at that point is when we decided to create something called CryptoKitties. And in creating CryptoKitties, we, our CTO actually more or less invented the NFT. He wrote the ERC-721 standard in creating CryptoKitties. And what CryptoKitties allowed us to do as a company is to understand very deeply what it was like to build in that environment and what, how the users behaved. And what we found was that users loved what we were doing. Uh, CryptoKitties was a success drove mass market adoption somewhat, 
But ultimately, we knew for many different reasons, for true mass market adoption, Ethereum was severely limited. And the outward perception, you know, everyone can see this, everyone knows this, is high gas fees, uh, not scalable, et cetera. But we knew it was deeper than that because we were, we were building. Now, at that point, we didn't know that we were going to build a blockchain. What we did was we did six to eight months of research, took a deep dive into 40, 50 different blockchains, projects, things that were live, layer ones, layer twos. We looked at everything that was viable. And what we found was that most, if not all of them, were taking an outward outsider's perspective of what was going on in Ethereum and building for that. So what I mean is they were strictly solving for scalability and gas, but not solving for all the things that we needed to solve for. And at that point, we decided we need to build our own blockchain if we're going to truly drive hundreds of millions or billions of users to, the, um, to blockchain technology. And that became Flow. And really, like, Flow is purpose-built for the mass market through easy onboarding, UX, UI design, payments, et cetera. So what the other blockchains are really missing is that, that critical piece because the scalability and gas fees and you know, uh, low throughput of blockchains only come into play if you can actually onboard users in mass at scale. And we knew with CryptoKitties our user onboarding funnel was a disaster. Like, try to have any normal NBA, NFL fan onboard into CryptoKitties, it's just not gonna happen. So we led with Flow in, in the Dapper wallet product with fiat credit card payments first, so you can come into the Flow ecosystem and you could buy an NFT directly with a credit card. Uh, and that, that was the key, and you know, that, that's the key to our success in purpose building for that easy um, UX UI and onboarding is I think where all the other technologies kind of missed and the, what we focused on, and, and that's, that's a big differentiator, what, what flow is. Well, I think I'll come back to that because I think a lot of the choices you made for the reasons you made also create some of the constraints that, you know, where maybe some of your critics come yeah. in. And, yeah. and so I want to give you a chance to address that later, but um, I want to go to the NFL and Sam next. Um, you guys uh, on the ticketing side uh, have been ahead of the game and uh, recently with the Super Bowl, you had, you know, with your partnership with Ticketmaster, um, did ticketing there. And maybe you can talk about, you know, you ended up the, through Ticketmaster using uh, the Flow blockchain. Um, you know, why, you know, the direction of that with Ticketmaster and just what do you see as the vision of ticketing uh, and how you know, enabling on a blockchain, what does that do? What, what is the value proposition for uh, people who go to games? Which everyone's familiar with going to games, but huh. <laughs> not familiar with now that their ticket is this right. advanced thing, so. Sure, I'll keep it to 30 seconds. Um, <laughs> you, have, you get much longer, Sam, and then Rachel's gonna get a lot of time too. There. Um, I, think I took so much time. Right. I don't know, I yeah. knew, that, was a great I, I, that was for me. I wanted to hear that, because I had a crypto kitty and. And like, and you guys switched, and so I, I always wanted to hear that. I never had, so go ahead. Sure. Um, I think first to start, thank you to Ticketmaster. Unfortunately, Brendan from the, the team couldn't join us, so we appreciate their support, and, and they've been great partners. I think th to take it back a little bit, you know, Jonathan Kraft spoke on a panel yesterday, mentioned a conversation he had with Commissioner going back to 2017 about putting tickets for Super Bowl on the blockchain, and 
you know, I, I think certainly that the technology wasn't quite there at, at that point, but it's something that we've had our eyes on for quite some time. Um, and, you know, I think we're quite bullish on blockchain technology overall. And so, you know, as, as we've continued our exploration, looking at where does it make the most sense to sort of take our foray into the, the blockchain and NFT space, certainly collectibles and, and ticketing just made logical sense given the, the ease of access and, you know, fan familiarity. And so in partnership with Ticketmaster this past season, uh, we launched our ticketing NFT program um, beginning with the regular season where select games, fans that attended games were eligible for an NFT. We released a limited number of NFTs for purchase at $10 a piece. Those sold out within 24 hours, gave out about 250,000 NFTs to, to fans that attended games over the course of the season. And, you know, really our objective there was one, you know, to, to give the fans something that they could take away from the game. You know, you think about in the past, we've all heard this before, but you go to a game, you have your ticket stub, you keep that in the shoebox under your bed. That doesn't exist anymore in that way as, as we've sort of pushed into mobile ticketing and a lot of advantages that come with mobile ticketing, but you sort of lose that commemorative keepsake. And so I think this NFT is, you know, to start for us, a way to replace that. And, and it's something that, you know, we've heard time and time again from our fans, you know, learning curve on mobile ticketing, they get over that and then they're just left with, well, it's a great experience now, but I like having my ticket shipped to me after the game. So I think this sort of took the place of that for the regular season. And then we progressed the program over the course of the postseason. Fans at every postseason games received an NFT. We did some interesting auction drops with historical tickets for Super Bowl. Um, and as you mentioned, for Super Bowl itself, every attendee at that game re received a customized NFT. And so, you know, I think to start, it's really been focused on that commemorative keepsake that the fan can take away and say, I, I was there. And for Super Bowl, it's stamped with your section row and seat. And so that's sort of an evolution from what we were doing over the regular season where go to a game, everybody gets the same NFT. This was sort of our first foray into customization. And so, you know, you think about the long term, and I'm sure we'll get there, but how do you tie I was at that game to the highlight from that game? How does that unlock new and different experiences for you? And, you know, how do you bring that into a number of different worlds? So, you know, blockchain ticketing aside, I think for us that the first foray was let's look at the commemorative space, make that a keepsake for the fan, and, and we're excited about where it can go. So I think people understand the high end, which is the Super Bowl is amazing this year. You go to Kobe's 80-point game, and if you had a, people see that. But going back, since you referenced Robert Kraft, I'll go back, not Robert, Jonathan Kraft, I'll go back to Gary Vee um, at the opener yesterday. What about the flip side? What happens if you, you go to any Super Bowl from most of the time when I was between the ages of 20 and 35 and every game was won by 40 and they're, they're leaving all disappointed? What, what about on the, I'm just curious, like have you guys thought about the flip side? Yeah, and you know, I, I think we, we look closely at the engagement rates. So over the course of the season, we gave out over 500,000 NFTs free to fans and we can talk about using that as sort of an inroad into the NFT space. But I think the engagement across the board was incredibly high. We were seeing email open rates of those NFTs that we deployed at 75% plus, which you know was largely unheard of. We were seeing click-through rates of 60% plus. And so it wasn't just the fans that were excited about going to the game and, and their team won. We really didn't see much drop-off between the team that won, you know, if, if it was a home game of the team that won versus a home game of, of the team that lost. So mm. I, I think in any scenario, if you're at the Super Bowl, you know, 
I certainly take it for granted having been to a number now, but that's an incredible experience for a fan to be at. And so, you know, I, I do in fact have the, the shoebox under my bed of all those tickets that I went to growing up and have some pretty incredible moments in there. And so not every one of those is gonna be worth, you know, $1,000 down the road. We did see a pretty robust secondary market for these tickets. And, you know, you look at Ben Roethlisberger's last game, Tom Brady's last game, like you start to see some interesting resale behavior around those specifically. But I think, you know, it's more holistic than just what is the value of this on the secondary market. I think it becomes how do you sort of profile the fan who was at that game, you know, and then you buy a jersey, you get that NFT that ties you to that player and you, you know, are a fan of that team. And I think, you know, that's, again, for us, putting the fan at the center of that, how do you unlock more personalization, customization, and sort of that one-to-one -one fan experience that right now is a little bit more disjointed given all of the different partnerships we have and, you know, how that um, flows through the league. I'll move on to Rachel, but I, I see how people can now sort of understand it's new, like if you get a, the first one, it's, I'm more curious how it'll map forward when, sure. you, when you get five, 10 years down, down the road. But I'm very excited Rachel's here, um, the president of the Drone Racing League. I bet, you know, show of hands in the audience, how many people have heard of the Drone Racing League yet? Oh, geez, I love our Doing conference. a good job, I get to stay. I love our <laughs> conference. Okay, I thought that was gonna be much less. Uh, I will say, you know, to toot the conference's horn, we were the first to cover drone racing. We had it uh, five years ago here at the conference and upset the Heinz Convention Center with, they made us put nets around to make sure the drones couldn't ruin the walls, which was ridiculous, but whatever. Sorry, Heinz. Um, so you guys have, Starting a drone racing league is one thing, like just an entire new league, innovative, uh, very exciting if people haven't checked it out. Um, but you're not stopping there on being like forward thinking and innovative. You're, you're jumping all the way to uh, <laughs> base, you know, having a, a drone racing sort of game built on the blockchain. And tell me about that decision versus just you know, to me, if I'm launching a new, a new league, I might be like, let's, at least, let's start get the league right before we start doing all these offshoots, you know, but you guys are, you've, you've clearly thought deeply about why you're doing these, uh, you know, this drone game. So take, take me through that decision to, to launch that as well. Yeah. No, it's not launched yet, about to launch. But. <laughs> um, no, great question. I think for us, one of the, I came from stick and ball sports, um, 21 years at the NBA, so we'll get to some overlap there. But when I came to the Drone Racing League, um, as Daryl said, like this is building a new sport. This is building the next generation of fans that are growing up looking at drone racing as the new playing field of sports, really beyond you know the 75, 100-year-old properties that have been out there. So one of the things early on is I became just obsessed with the data about our fans. And really when you look at that data, Daryl, like that really drives the intention around where you are gonna spend your time to build millions of people to care about what you're doing and feel like they have a skin in the game. So knowing that our fan base was young, tech savvy, really the Gen Z, they want it quick, fast, sparkly um, when you look at you know the, the lights on the drone. Um, so when we jumped in on the tech side, we spent two years perfecting the tech. 
like these drones have to fly. To your point, I don't know what happened before I showed We're up like, there. How big are the drones? Ours were small here. That No, the, so our racing drones yeah, they, uh, should have the size. dimensions like I'm usually holding. Oh, there you go. There you go. So yeah. you get a little bit of the, the sizing there. But our drones, we hand build ourselves at our office on 27th Street. So as many marketers that I have running around and um, partnerships people, we have brilliant engineers that every day wake up and perfect drones that go zero to 90 and navigate around the most complex courses. But um, our fans are really sophisticated. And when you talk about making sure you don't have the friction, it's fast, it's, you know, from an education standpoint, like they feel like they know what they're getting themselves into. Like we had all of that in play, but we saw that they loved betting and they loved crypto. Mm -hmm. And wanting to give them skin in the game, we went out and we partnered with Algorand mm -hmm. that are the brilliant uh, engineers out of MIT because we wanted a partnership with the technology company. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important um, about our intention to go into this space because we didn't just want a logo on a building. You know, I don't have a building, we fly at football stadiums, but we needed a technology company that could come partner with us and really build an education that there wouldn't be that friction. It would be easy for people to get involved. And it has led us to literally putting out a play to own game that we announced at CES, the tech conference in Las Vegas, in front of thousands of people that if you never fly a drone, you can, you know, in this play to own game that we are working on with Playground Labs, um, that's, you know, $1.5 billion fund that's putting games out there. So for us, it's really about the tech has to work, the drones have to fly, and it's gotta be a great experience. Um, because like I said, we don't, we don't have 100 years to get it wrong, but we have all the playbooks of the other sports to get it right. Mm -hmm. And not to get too technical, but I will. I'm, I'm like the tech guy, so sorry. Did you just not talk to Mickey? Why did you go with Algorand or what, what happened? Yeah. Um, Why did you choose them, I guess? Is it? Yeah, no, I mean, the thing was early on, I think when everyone got their education, it was through the MBA and Top Shot. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I know what Top Shot did, I think back at why I love sports and I'm back in the industry, but I love technology and innovation. And now when you couple that trifecta there, it's, you know, pure nirvana. Um, we talked to Zappa early on, but they had their hands full. You know, and I think as Mickey knows that, they wanted to get it right too. And when you have something like a behemoth of the NBA, you have, you know, a very single focus of making that right and now moving on to other sports. So, you know, for us, we wanted to be that sport. You know, that technology company to partner with Algorand to be the star in the stable. Right. Um, and that's Are you their top sort of game that's on their yes. platform? Yes, so we're gonna be the first game that's Makes brought sense. on Algorand's yeah. blockchain. And since we announced in September, you know, they're, we're building our sport on the blockchain. So NFTs obviously is like, you know, the low hanging fruit, I would say, it's gotta have utility now and all those other fun things beyond the artwork. But, you know, really for us is we wanted a partner that could be singularly focused on us as well. And then we'll expand the category as 
we think about where was this category two years ago, and now it's one of the top spenders um, in sports. And to your point, it is MIT, so you know that that is good. I'll, I'll get her over one day. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I like it. I like you it. You heard it here. Um, this is for everyone on whoever wants to address this. Um, it that's you know. I think with crypto, NFTs or whatever, since I'm deep into it and everyone on this panel is and probably a lot of the audience, I would say there's a really good percentage of people you talk to about it, somewhere between 30 and 50, who just are like, what the heck are you doing with that? You're ruining the, you know, all, these, like, all these like negative things. So I'd love to give you guys a chance. And if you guys miss any things that I've heard, I'm gonna like zing you, because uh, we've all heard it. What are the common like criticism, misconceptions that you hear when you're describing your ideas and what you're building and how would you, and, and how would you address them? Well, one we hear often is, why am I going to pay money for an image Mm -hmm. or something. Oh, the I right could, clickers. The right clickers. Got I it. love the Got right it. clickers. I love Got the it. right clickers. Right. So, Come on, uh, that's a softball. You can take that one first. That's good. Yeah, yeah. So look, I mean, I, I use all kinds of analogies here, but um, the, the token that's behind the art or the image is what gives it legs and meat. Much like if you have a physical sports trading card, let's say. Um, it's the, the cardboard, the material is kind of what, it, it makes it the thing or a thing. The token or the tokenization of the image on the blockchain or the art on the blockchain is what makes it the thing. So to say like, I'm gonna right click that image and now I have what you have is to say that I'm going to take a photo of your Mickey Mantle rookie card and now we both have a multi-million dollar investment sports card in our hands. It's, it's the same thing. It's just a very difficult bridge for people to get over because one is physical and they can touch it and it makes sense. And the other is digital and it's abstract, but it's the exact same concept. Can I make it a little more uncomfortable? Oh, uh, I would love that. Yeah, so this is more of a question on flow. Yeah. So you know, obviously you have the videos of the plays yeah. in the NFL all day or Top Shot. Are they actually on the blockchain? Oh, of course not. Um, uh, okay, it, so you're not, well, even, you're not even buying the image on the blockchain, you're just buying a pointer to some other image. So you've, correct. you've just bought a pointer. But the, I'm just playing the other side right yeah, now. Yeah, you, you are playing the other side and, that, and that's fine. But <laughs> at the end of the day, you, you own the token, mm -hmm. you own that thing much like you own the t-shirt the NBA t-shirt that you bought from the NBA store or the NBA trading card, you, you own those things. Mm -hmm. um, the NBA or any IP holder would have the same rights that they have in the physical world. Mm -hmm. I, can't, I can't print my, or I can't buy my LeBron James t-shirt and then go and use the LeBron James logo or the image to build my own business, deface it, uh, you know, do whatever I want with it, right? So. Um, the IP holder is always going to retain those rights. But at the end of the day, yes, the, the image isn't on the blockchain. The video is not on the blockchain. Some of them are. But yeah, some because, but yeah. you don't want to put a video on a blockchain because it, it becomes expensive. It, it slows it down. So the solution for that is that 
There are decentralized networks that, are, uh, that hold images, that hold videos, that act as the storage housing for the, the images or the videos that you own. So the pointer is pointing to something that is also decentralized, that's made specifically for oh. images, videos, or assets. So those pointers go to something that is also immutable, is, is the Correct. point? Correct. So that Correct. makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Others? What do you, what do you... Yeah, I think we may face a, a somewhat similar, but also different challenge than Dapper in that we're not necessarily talking to the avid avids here, and, and they're certainly a, a part of it, but we've really been focused on building something for a broad base. Mm -hmm. And you know, again, pointing back to that 500,000 number that we distributed, that's probably in many cases the first time someone has received an NFT or even potentially heard of it. I think you know, our research shows about two thirds of our fans have heard of NFTs, but less than half of them actually know what it is, own one, sort of have experience with it. So I think. Our challenge is less about speaking to that avid, you know, crypto NFT um, blockchain community, and more just education around what is this. And so, you know, as, as part of the, the ticketing NFT program, we never really spoke to it as an NFT. It was you're getting a virtual commemorative ticket. Mm -hmm. That is something that our fans are familiar with because they obviously know what a ticket is. They know the, the commemorative piece of it, and they know virtual. If they want to dig in and understand you know, what is that minted on, what blockchain, all of that, they, they can go down that path. But mm -hmm. as far as the 65-year-old season ticket holder in Green Bay, Wisconsin needs to know, they got an email and they clicked it and it shows a cool spinning ticket that, you know, is, is that sort of commemorates their game. And so I don't even know if we're as far along on that path that we need to really advocate for what the value is here. I think for us, it's more just about what, you know, what key learnings can we take from this? And how can we bring our fans using the value of our IP and, and the fan base that exists and sort of usher them into a new age? And again, you look back two, three, four, five years on mobile ticketing, fans are saying, no, I got my ticket, I hand it off to Mickey and I go into the game. We had to sort of educate them on what's the value of mobile ticketing, you know, and, and obviously the, the data and there's a ton of enhancements that we as a league and Ticketmaster and others get. But Ultimately, it creates a better fan experience. I would say we're still in the very early stages of that on the NFT side. And so I can't tell you where we're going to go five years from now. And maybe that's what the critics would say. What's, what is this going to look like in 10 years? We don't know. I don't think anyone here will know what the future of blockchain ticketing or NFTs look like. And so I think for us, it's putting the fan first and say, how do you create something that's, that's a value to them? And you know, we certainly saw headlines around it's a cash grab. And first ones we put out were $10, we, you know, I don't think we issued anything for more than a couple hundred dollars, really just to get the learnings. And you certainly wouldn't put 500,000 of these out in the market if you were trying to maximize the value here. So for us, we're still very much in the infancy stages of that on the ticketing side and trying to take as many learnings as we can and ultimately usher or potentially drag in, you know, this, this entirely new fan base that's maybe never interacted with an NFT before. So I'll stand the criticism. This will be the uncomfortable part of the panel. So I, what you're saying makes 100% sense. You guys are actually trying to run real companies that you know, are easy to use. Like We all know what consumers want. They want to have experiences. They want to have easy to use things. Um, but everything you just said, you're trying to put it on a blockchain. And, and maybe it's a little more where Mickey and I come in. It's actually a horrible technology to build stuff on. So 
you could have done just a commemorative virtual ticket on Ticketmaster's back end, whatever that is. It doesn't need to be a blockchain. I'm not saying you don't necessarily need to answer this, but like, like, why don't you? Why is it? Is it just for marketing to do it, or is there actually some advantages to how you're building your your you know, that it's an NFT on a, on a blockchain. Yeah, I think that's what we're trying to piece out. I, I don't think we are going to stand here and say, you know, we're going to be on blockchain ticketing in a year, two years, three years. And I, I think to play devil's advocate, to the devil's advocate, yeah. with mobile ticketing, we have a lot of the advantages that often get cited as part of blockchain technology. Mm -hmm. People say you've got an immutable record of, of chain of custody. Well. With mobile ticketing and, and the network, you know, the, the open ticketing network that we built at the league, if Mickey buys a ticket and transfers it to Daryl and transfers it, like we see all of those transactions. We have that record. We, you know, we share in the economics on the, the marketplace. So I think as we think about what does the future of ticketing look like for us, again, we're not coming at this from a place of what is blockchain and then how do we apply it. I think we're looking at what are the business challenges that we're trying to solve. Maybe there's a place for blockchain, maybe there isn't. Again, I think we're bullish on the, the technology overall, but I'm not gonna sit here and say we need it or it's going to be the future for us. I think that's something that, like any technology, we continually assess and, and we'll make those decisions in due time. And maybe the technology evolves and it's not quite there yet, but I think for us, it, again, it's really just about putting as many lines in the water as we can and sort of testing those waters and see what comes out of it. Yeah, I, I would say, um... The market has a pretty rudimentary perspective and understanding of what NFTs are and what they could be. And, and ticketing, ticket stubs on the blockchain, it's, it's, less about the, it's less about it being an NFT. That's part of it. Like, and, and being an NFT allows you to truly own the thing, which means you can take it with you wherever, you can sell it, you can trade it, you can use it for other purposes, et cetera. But really what the power of all this is, is like the smart contract infrastructure that's underneath it that allows NFTs to exist. So smart contracts can, you know, in, in ticketing, um, they could do a lot of things. I mean, one thing that I think Ticketmaster, if he was up here, they would talk about is um, within a smart contract, if your ticket's on the smart contract, will allow Ticketmaster to um, capture the secondary market or scalping value of those tickets, right? So you can write a smart contract that has, um, you know, if the ticket's resold, the, origin the originator of it, Ticketmaster or, or the NFL, et cetera, gets a share of that. So when the Super Bowl ticket sells for 3,000 face value, scalpers are on the secondary market selling it for 20,000. If it sells for 20,000, uh, Ticketmaster, NFL, whoever uh, can share a piece of that upside. Uh, and, and that's just one aspect of it. And the next thing I'll say is probably going to get us down a, a rabbit hole we might not want to go yet, but um, th there's this composability aspect to smart contracts, which is essentially the openness and they function as open APIs. So it's... it's <laughs> When people sit up on stage, and, and Zuckerberg might argue with me, but that's fine. Um, you know, people sit up on the stage and they, they talk about the metaverse. And it always goes to virtual goggles, virtual worlds, I'm living in the world. I don't know, that might be where it ends up, but I, that's not what a, the metaverse 
is. That's a way for you to potentially experience a metaverse or, or realize a part of a metaverse. What, what, what happens here is you can think of like the metaverse as this spider web of technology. And one piece of that is the ticket or the NFT ticket. And that, that is what tracks kind of your in real life affinity to a brand or a property. So if I buy five season tickets, I go to the Super Bowl, all those things are being tracked on the blockchain, they're within the smart contract. And then if that smart contract is also connected to uh, NFL all day, you know, EA Madden, um, all these other digital properties, you can start to build this metaverse around your customers, you can build customer profiles, you can give them the experiences they want, and then they can live in the NFL world connected through all of the, this intertwining of smart contracts and the web that's on the blockchain. So that's the way I would think about it. I wanna wrap this up and I'll get Rachel's thoughts on this, but just to bring it to the reality, someone who went to the Super Bowl this year, they wanna sell their virtual ticket from it. Mm -hmm. They can't go to OpenSea, where can they go to sell it right now? So any of the tickets that we release, you can resell. You can take it to OpenSea. Oh, you right, can, so, you and we've seen you know, very robust secondary market activity. Right. What are they going for? Depends on the ticket. And yeah. I, you know, I think that's where, you, again. So that's bizarre if you think about it. No, There's no, no. no I, longer where you sit matters. <laughs> no, I, I, sorry. I, I mean okay. from which game you were at, how many we released. So oh, we I was released, just saying the Super Bowl this year. That's one game. Or am I? One, yes, but we released for you know, all of the postseason games as well as 20 regular season games. Okay, so okay. again, you know, if, if you were at Tom Brady's last game, if you were at you know, what's, Ben What's going for the most right now? So we released a limited number per team at the start. Those we're seeing in the thousands, I would say on average, you know, the, the tickets for an average game are going for a couple hundred, and then you know, a ton What's of variability. Tom Brady's last game. I, I want to know which one's going for the most, which one's worth the most right now, roughly. Right. So, because the game-specific NFTs we released seventy thousand, uh, you've got a lot more supply versus some of the uh, limited numbers. So, I yes, the the Brady game and the Roethlisberger game, those are the highest from a game perspective, but uh, then for the limited number we released per team, we okay. put 100 out there per team, those are selling for yeah, higher. Yeah, because there's only 100 versus right. 70,000. Exactly. I understand. Rachel, are we what? pivoting yet to James Harden racing me with his drone? So you, you told me James Harden has a drone. This is amazing. Yes, he does. The, the layers on you, James. You worry about him on the court. I'll worry about his drone flying. Cool. I worry about him off the court, And then we'll too. make it into an NFT, right? So, <laughs> drone racing sounds wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you tell people about your... You know, your use of the blockchain, what, 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 you must talk to people who say, oh, like, what are, the, what are their criticisms? What are, the, what are they when they're criticizing it or not understanding it maybe. What yeah, I mean, it's my parents, you know? What do you, okay, yeah. what do you do so what on do you a tell your Saturday when you're not at your daughter's championship game? And I said, well, you know, I'm at this conference talking about blockchain, we don't understand. Um, no, it's not just my parents, it's just- They don't think you're ruining the environment or like, like, like what are these, you must hear these things. I'll take that one, I'll let her go, but I'll no, take no, the environment we, one. We need to hear from Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Because <laughs> um, sustainability is important, right? We're not ruining the environment. Um, no, it's, it's an education. I think like anything, there's, there is that friction when you grow up, you feel like you know every rule in baseball or football or you name the sport, how many players on the field, 
you know, what the signals are when the referee comes out, but this is a whole new landscape. And for companies that didn't want to embrace technology, I'll use that as kind of like the barometer, a number of years ago, you're gonna go out of business. Like everyone's lives runs on tech, who's got their phone, who's got, like, you're always connected. It's your lifeline to anything. Um, and it is the same thing. Like if you are not getting educated on what is happening in this space, you're completely losing this next generation of fans and customers. And that's how we feel. Like we go to the education side of things because what people don't understand, they don't embrace, if they understand it is half the battle. So if we can educate them, and it's not just on this industry, you know, I used to be out about nutrition and physical activity, it still is, um, when I was at the MBA, but like for us, STEM education, like it's gotta start at the elementary school level to really empower young girls, young boys, um, and when they're empowered with information, they're gonna grow up feeling like they can embrace these areas of tech and you know, blockchain and, and what have you. So listen, there's so many naysayers that are like, all this money that got put on arenas, hundreds of millions of dollars to put a logo on there, I'm like, I will take that money, I will put it into education, because that's the way to empower people to make better decisions about getting involved. Like, sure, can you lose your shirt? Can you make a lot of money? Can I, can I ask something there, actually? I'm curious, yeah. you probably face a different challenge than we do, whereby we've got an older fan base trying to bring in new fans. You're starting with younger, native fans. How do you then bring that back up and to the point on blockchain and NFT? How do you educate that older fan base? not just about the NFT piece, but also how do you bring them to the table on the sport overall so you're not disenfranchising someone who says, I don't understand any of that, I'm just not going to engage? Yeah. I mean, our sport's pretty simple. Like, in terms of the heats are a minute, there's pilots that are athletes, and literally our drone is like our ball um, or our stick. So we are multi-generational. It's just, if you look at four million people on TikTok, they love our content too. Um, but Sam, when you asked the question about not wanting to alienate, we're really then intentional about content delivery and making sure that we tell the stories of six years ago, what my boss was doing in the backyard, hand taping the battery on the drone to fly, but having the Harvard education and really the ambition to say, like, I want the sport that'll be, you know, for the future now. Like, I want kids to grow up in a world that athletes don't have to be the fastest ones, you know, on the, on the field. That if you love technology, there is a place for you. So I think it's where you look at our broadcasts on Linear, that is made for an older audience. You look at the streams on Twitter, that is made for kind of a middler to younger. And you look at TikTok and there's 4 million people that are probably my daughter to 24 years old um, that are looking at the content there. So it's a, you know, it's a great question. I think other sports have it more difficult than we do at six years old because basically our entire future, our best days are ahead versus just embracing Jordan's last days or you know how far Tom Brady's gonna throw a football when he's on the field. Interesting.
So I was going to tell you not to do environmental because it's such a nonsense narrative and you guys aren't even relevant in it, but <laughs> apparently it's our number one question from the audience. So now I'm going to nail this one. Down. I'm going to let you answer it and yeah. then I'm going to really hammer it because it's, it's so ridiculous that people listen to this narrative. Yes. So I'm not going to talk about Bitcoin because there's uh, arguments on both sides. Uh, if you want to handle that, you can, but yeah, I can uh, even take those. But yeah. Yeah. Ahead, yeah. Uh, look, um, Proof of stake, these next generation blockchains, which is part of what makes them scalable, et cetera, it also, also makes them sustainable. We know this, but we get this pushback from the market. Uh, so we went out and we had Deloitte do an independent audit of the Flow blockchain. Uh, and the, the report actually came back that we are the most environmentally and sustainable blockchain of the major ones in the market today. But that's self-serving, but basically what it shows is that um, the proof-of-stake blockchains, the next-gen blockchains, are all sustainable, are all environmentally friendly. And one of the uh, data points that we share, which is part of the study, is, for example, a uh, transaction on the Flow blockchain uses less energy than a Twitter post, a Google search, or an Instagram post. So for everyone on Twitter complaining about how environmentally bad uh, blockchains are, you're using more energy with that post than uh, a proof of stake blockchain is using uh, to, to process a transaction. Yeah, it's, it's, look, it's all confirmation bias. Quite a few people don't like crypto and there are very good reasons not to like crypto. But the environmental one is complete and utter nonsense. <laughs> First off, proof of stake is like like you just said. You don't even you just need to know the technology. It's literally no different than every piece of software on earth. And then the non the non proof of stake, we're like we don't does that, is, is everyone are people mad at you that people are storing YouTube videos? Like that stores huge amounts of energy and data, right? So there should be multiple articles on how YouTube's ru ruining the environment. And there isn't. It's just be it's people going from I don't like crypto. I'm going to find some argument that people will grab onto. It's 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 complete. That, that nonsense. is the truest statement I've ever heard. It's complete yeah, nonsense. Yeah, yeah. No, like, look, you can, the scammers are coming into crypto. Yes. Yes. Like that's a real issue. There's people are losing money, and uh, well, so people early in time going back to Gary Vee, and I would make you. I, I told you to make you uncomfortable before. Gary V. Yesterday, people came early into Top Shot. A lot of them are sitting on like things that are worth a lot less. And what they had before, are you guys as a company, and it's fine if you're not, thinking about you know, how to provide more value to some of these people whose collections are maybe worth less. Now, most of them are up. I'm not like trying to, but there are people who have you know, uh, uh, down. We hear about it on Twitter daily. Okay. You're, not, you're, not, yeah, you're not asking anything new. Like, yes, I mean, we're building a product. Mm -hmm. We care about the people that use the product. We want to, them to be happy. We want them to enjoy the product. So we, we look at that every day and we try to address those issues every day um, into building a better product. And I would say, yes, like what you see today with our products is just the beginning. Um, we are constantly looking at how to bring more value to the ecosystem, how to bring more use cases, how to the you know, buzzword of, of the day is utility, how to bring more utility to top shots and everything we do. Thus, you know, creating value, but creating things beyond just the financial value. Like these things should prove your fandom 
or how much you're engaged with something, and that should be rewarded with something else. So we look at how to you know, sustain the marketplace value in terms of actual money, but we also look on how to extend value for owning uh, the things that we bring to market. I said I'd be Q&A heavy, so I'm going to jump to some of the some of the Q&A. Um, I guess I'll one more like skeptical. What happens to NFTs if the if the internet crashes, <laughs> or cyber attacks happen, or governments cut off the internet, things like that? I think that's more of a general crypto question. Does anyone want to take that? I'll throw that to you. I mean, I can't. I don't want to be the only one talking, but I'm, ha I'm happy to. Um, <laughs> well, now we can blame the audience. You can be the crypto. Well, if the, if the internet goes down in, uh, globally, I think we're in bigger trouble than my NFT collection. Um, but, uh, you know, it's decentralized technology. So, you know, Flow, for example, I don't know how many uh, Daryl's got an Ethereum node, I think. I don't know how many there are. But Flow, for instance, um, I don't know, there's something like 500 nodes being run. And they're being run in probably 60 different countries by 350 individual entities, et cetera. So if the United States decides to ban crypto or uh, NFTs or anything or, the, you know, whatever, um, there's still going to be 59 other countries where these nodes are being run, right? So it would have to be uh, a global catastrophe uh, that would that kill, you know, that would kill these networks. I mean, we saw it with Bitcoin. Uh, China, China banned Bitcoin, and all the Bitcoin mining just left China and moved elsewhere. And Bitcoin had a blip when that happened, but it, it didn't kill it. It sustained itself, and, and it's part of why these things have value, because they're so hard to kill, almost when they're decentralized, almost impossible to kill. This, this might be more of a question for Rachel or Sam. So um, it's like, how do you guys think about the IP? So for, I'm wearing this board Ape shirt, which they've given the, if you own the NFT, you own the IP. Um, how is that happening for say NFL all day or the game you're creating? How have you guys thought about that? I, I mean, mine's kind of an easy answer is in building the sport, we own the ecosystem right now. So the players, the drones, the race stack, like all of the elements, the visual imagery, the past content is all ours because we've aggregated all of it. Mm -hmm. um, it gets clearly more complex for the other leagues um, because they have separate entities that control many of those rights. But for us right now, and what makes it attractive when you talk about marketers that aren't sure how to get involved, you then make it that much harder to go negotiate with us, the players, the media rights, when we become a one-stop shop. If you wanna be in our play-to-own game, as we build these unbelievable universes and tracks, um, you know, we operate it. Like, we build to, to scale there, so it makes it easier. Yeah, and I, I would say, Mickey can probably tell you it's not easy to negotiate with the league um, because it is fragmented, <laughs> as Rachel said. Fine. Uh, um, Wonderful. <laughs> and you know, I think because of that, we've made the decision to sort of centralize that at the league level. And you know, whereas other leagues and entities have sort of allowed clubs to go out and negotiate their own deals and their own rights, we've retained that 
at the league level as you know, we would any other licensed product. And so I think that gives us a bit more flexibility or fluidity to sort of adjust and pivot without having 32 teams doing 32 different things in the market. But there's a lot of stakeholders in terms of the NFLPA and, and others that you have to work through. So short answer is it's not easy and it's highly complex. Yeah, I think it's a real challenge because there's, you know, there's obviously the culture where crypto and blockchains and NFTs came from. And there's a strong segment that is like, wants to own the IP behind there. Um, so I think that's the challenge is, especially leagues and these, you know, those on the stage um, have to deal with, so. You. Yeah, when we created CryptoKitties, um, the well, users- I own my CryptoKitty? Well, there's, yes, you do. Oh, good. Right. Uh, and, the, and we actually, uh, well, I didn't the know the imagery was mine. I yeah, well, uh, <laughs> so it is, but, but, but well, not, not a real but. So mm -hmm. users started to use CryptoKitties in other ways. So when we created CryptoKitties, we were truly pioneers, and we didn't really think about IP rights, right? It was just like, okay, the users own it, and they own everything. And then... Uh, users started to use it to monetize and make money and, and do all kinds of other things. So we, we took a look at it and we tried to write, I forget what the, the document was, but we tried to be thought leaders and write up a document on how you treat IP rights in this space. Um, and we had kind of rules around what you could do. You could you know, monetize it up to $100,000 and X, Y, and Z. Um, so we tried to do that. It, it never took off and never gained adoption across um, NFT projects. But you know, we were thinking about it back in 2018, and um, you know, it's it's a complicated issue in this space. And I think the projects that launch, or NFT projects that launch, kind of will have their own rules and own ideas and own terms of service around IP rights. And it's kind of up to the creator. This is probably for you, Sam. Um, so this is a challenge in sports leagues because that's what I work into. The question specifically is, as you start to cater to, you know, NFT ticketing, Top Shot, all these new segments or whatever, how do you, like, folks who are your diehards currently, season ticket holders, things like that, how do you make them feel like they're not being left behind as you go off and work on your new bells and whistles? Yeah, that was actually my question for Rachel. So I, I think... It's a great question, and I think going back to what I touched on before, like we are purposely doing this for a broad base. We're not speaking to the collectors or the speculators, and, and we're intentionally not catering towards them. And so, as you think about how we aren't those collectors and speculators, I think you know we're we're not to your point looking for someone to be left holding the bag on. You know, I thought this was going to go up in value. We're, we're trying to create more organic value. If I was at that game, this has intrinsic value to me, then you go to what kind of experiences does this unlock and all the, the, you know, the network that Mickey touched on. So I think we were very intentionally, very intentional, as I mentioned, like we don't refer to these as NFTs. We don't say anything about blockchain as, you know, at the base level, at least on the ticketing side, you're getting this cool commemorative ticket. Anyone can identify with that. There's not this huge barrier to entry of, all right, I got to create my wallet. Like Ticketmaster did all of the heavy lifting of creating 500,000 wallets and dropping these automatically into the wallet. So you don't have to worry about converting your crypto to fiat and you don't have to worry about, you know, creating your wallet and, and all of that. We, we tried to keep those barriers to entry as low as we possibly could. I'll finish, we have one more question. 
I guess our timer's a little off. Uh, I'll finish with a uh, softball, uh, which is what are you most excited for, um, you know, in the crypto NFT space uh, for the NFL, for Dapper? I think we know yours, though. It's You have your new exciting game coming up, but maybe you have others, so. Yeah, I would say it's the evolution of all of it. I, I couldn't tell you where we're going to be in five years, but you look at you know where are NFTs going to be, what are the applications for blockchain technology. I think this has been discussed on pretty much every panel I've sat in to some extent about fractional ownership or w whatever it may be. Fractional ownership really blows people's minds. So, uh, like, I don't even own the image; I own just a few pixels of a possible right, image. Yeah, right. that's even just a pointer. Yeah, that one really messes people up. Right. So I, I think for us, it's really just early days of the internet here, and we're excited about all of the value that this can unlock ultimately for our fans. I can't point to one thing and say, this is where we're going to go with it. I, I think it's really just us trying to do those test and learn opportunities and, and see what's going to stick here. Um, you know, when we set out to build Flow, um, we actually, I, I, I didn't, we didn't kind of see the market manifest itself like it has, right? Um, we saw it from like a, a gaming application type perspective. And, and we, we built Flow and, and the Flow Cadence smart contract language uh, to supercharge something called composability. And I, I alluded to composability earlier, but essentially what composability is, is it allows users, developers, community members to build on top of experiences, almost like an open API. So what I'm most excited about is to see this market, I don't know if it happens this year or the next year, but see this market go where we ultimately know it's going, where games, virtual worlds, properties, et cetera, become community built, thus community owned. So you can think of, you know, I'm gonna build board apes, and I'm just gonna throw these digital art pieces on the blockchain, and then the users, the community members, the owners, then start building board apes virtual worlds, board apes games, board apes whatevers, uh, and that just becomes this metaverse of board apes that was built not by the original creator, but by the community. Can I follow up on that? Because I was, I was gonna to touch on that. So you surprised me by saying you could sell this ticket, but Top shot all day. You can't go on OpenSea or Looks Rare and sell those yet. Is that right? Or not on those particular marketplaces? Because yeah, so they're which not marketplace. Can you do? Uh, there's Store. a number of flow-specific marketplaces like oh. Gaia, Blockto Bay, uh, Vive. You can take uh, your top shots all day, etc. Mm -hmm. Outside of the, the the main marketplace right. and sell them on third-party marketplaces. Yeah. So to follow up but what I think you were saying just to say back what you said is that there'll be on Ethereum or Flow or whatever there'll be these you know maybe it's ballers you were showing yeah, ballers yeah, yeah. and people will be able to take even though the original creators of it are here people will be able to use that same um, you know sort of uh, NFT of that your baller the Mickey you know the Mickey baller mm -hmm. um, which exists you can look up his Mickey baller uh, and then use it in a different game. You, you can play pickleball with your Mickey baller. So that's a great example. And I, didn't I don't know if it's great. But well, it, it is because I didn't set this up either. 
uh, I got an email a couple weeks ago from two guys in New Jersey. And they said, hey, we found your email. Can you get us in touch with the Ballers people? Because we're building a fantasy game for the Ballers community, which they can use Ballers. And they don't, they don't need their permission to do that because the, the smart contract's open. Uh, open. But they wanted to reach the Ballers community to let them know that this thing's going to exist. These things are happening, and it's only a matter of time before you get that breakout hit. Gotcha. What are you most excited about, Rachel? Yeah, I mean, just to underscore, it's like the 10 things we haven't discussed here and just looking at the guilds and the DAOs and just communities of people that are doing our work for us and telling us like we're most interested in ballers, you know, doing this other game. So I think there's like a lot of um, lingo that gets thrown around, metaverse, crypto, blockchain, and half the people don't really know what they're doing. Um, but it's really about, you know, what, what's to come here. We're in such the infancy stages. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, thanks, everybody. Tell me to wrap up. So we did it. <laughs> thanks, everybody. This recording is the property of 42 Analytics and may not be published, broadcast, rewritten, or redistributed without the express written consent of 42 Analytics. Any opinions expressed by panelists are their own and do not represent the beliefs of the conference, 42 Analytics, or the MIT Sloan School of Management. 42 Analytics Educational, Inc. reserves all rights in the content.